Second Kings chapter six. Second Kings chapter six. While you're doing that, a couple of announcements, if you could. Um, it's getting crowded in here. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Um, well, you clap because you got here before the people who couldn't find a seat. So. So, uh, by the way, for some of you who have flexibility, and actually many of us have more flexibility than we realize, um, in your schedule, we have a second service. I say that because I know there'll be fewer people in the second service. I mean, we're growing in both, but uh, so it's always, you can always balance it out. We have children's ministry in both services, so please take advantage of that. Um, Actually, very quickly on that, I know many of you have been uh, asking and praying. Uh, I mentioned to you uh, a number of months ago that we've been looking at uh, the shopping center about a mile down this way where the uh, bottom dollar foods used to be. And uh, we are in the process of drafting a letter of intent to them, and we'll keep you informed. That's all I'm saying. So just keep it before the Lord, please. Um, just a couple of announcements before that, uh, before we go on. Uh, Many of you might recall or remember Patty Height. I think the last time we had her here was in 2019. Uh, Patty Height uh, has a ministry called Out of Egypt Ministries. Uh, it's a ministry to the homosexual community. And uh, we've had her here twice, twice, twice so far. And she will be here on Wednesday, the, uh, Wednesday the 28th of September, so just a few weeks from now. I really encourage you to come on out um, in this day and age with everything going on. Things have just so changed so much just in the three years since she's been here. So we'll, we'll give you more information about that, but mark your calendars for that. Also, following her on the following two Wednesdays, October 5th and October 12th, uh, our very own Jeff Cave is going to be leading a two-week series on God's principles for financial freedom. Uh, so um, it's always a blessing when Jeff can lead us in that. We're blessed here to have a number of people in the financial advisory uh, profession. And uh, I know that you'll be blessed by that. So Bible's open, 2 Kings chapter 6. I really believe that if you and I are going to find godly purpose and fulfillment in our lives, if we hope to ever have real victory and you know, people say that all the time, pastors say that, they sure say it on TV, but, um, but if we're going to do that, and we can, it's not just a TV thing, but we have to have God's perspective. It's easy to fall into a religious mindset and just kind of you know, do the church thing and whatever, and, then, and there's a, obviously there's a very important piece of that, but we have to have God's perspective. We need to see things God's way. And we can only do that, I guess I'd put it this way, with his vision. And let me define what I mean. Well, I'll do it as we go. But his insight, and, and frankly, um, maybe a, be a better way to put that when I say his perspective or his vision or his insight, maybe the way to put it is with um, the almost embarrassing knowledge that he knows everything that's going on in your life, in my life. It's one thing to say, give me vision, tell me what's going on, tell me the prophecies, all the terrible things that are going to happen, that's one thing. No, if we're going to walk the way he wants us to walk and be who he wants us to be and experience the riches and glory that are in Christ Jesus in this life and most importantly the one to come, to hear well done, good and faithful servant, then we need to understand that everything is naked and open before the one with whom we have to do, right? And... Uh, and that's what we're going to look at here this morning. 
Last week we looked at Naaman, this major commander of the Syrian army, top dude, leprosy, comes to Israel, Elisha, he's cured of, cleansed of his leprosy, he goes back, and I think that's sort of the, uh, that's, that's, he's not mentioned in this text, but he has to be a major factor in what's going on in Syria, but the king of Syria has a problem. He knows that he has, or he believes that he has a mole in his cabinet. He's got someone in there who's informing the Israelites of everything that he tries to do. Let's look at these first verses, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 6. The king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, beware, man of God being Elisha, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians who are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man had told him, and the man of God had told him, and thus he warned him, and he was watchful there not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing, and he called his servants, and he said to them, will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Right? There's someone in here who's a troublemaker. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel, the words that you speak in your bedroom. You too. So he said, go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, well, surely he's in Dothan. So therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night, and they surrounded him. He knows there's a problem. He's being thwarted because Elisha knows from God exactly what's going on, and he tells uh, Jehoram, who's the king of Israel, what's going on. And I find this interesting, too, because Israel, the northern kingdom, is in great idolatry at this time. I mean, there's, there's every reason in the world why, why God should just lift the hedge of protection and let Syria come in and do it to him. I mean, really, you think about that. We know that God is just, so why doesn't he do that? I don't know. Why doesn't he do it with you or me? He's so much more patient with us than... That's obviously than we deserve. But don't count on it forever. Because God must be just. Doesn't mean he doesn't forgive your sins. But at, at one point, he has to correct us. And he wants to do that. And it won't be long before he'll use Syria or Assyria to come in and to, um, to scatter Israel out to all of these foreign nations. So time's running out for them. But... What I want us to see here is this, I want us to look at this idea of, of the king of Israel being told that this guy Elisha tells the king of Israel everything you say, even in your bed. In other words, in the most private places of your life, no matter where you plan something, God is telling this man and he's telling the king. And that's, that's a pagan's perspective on it. How much more should we understand that? And we go through the Bible, we can see all sorts of things. I mean, I think of uh, Abraham and Sarah, and the Lord comes, Genesis 18, the Lord and two angels who look, as, look like men. They come, and, uh, and Abraham has Sarah prepare a meal for them, and all this is going on. And uh, Sarah's pretty old, and Abraham's even older. Abraham's 99 at this point. She's 89, and the Lord tells Abraham at, while they're dining, this time next year, Sarah will have a son. She overhears this in the other tent, and she chuckles to herself. 
And the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah chuckle or giggle or laugh? And she says from the other tent, I didn't laugh. <laughs> yeah, you did. And we laugh at that. But how many times do you laugh at even the things that God may say about you in his word? The things that he would like to do with you in your life. And you may not actually <laughs> laugh about it, but inside you're saying, <laughs> no, not me. I wouldn't. I couldn't. There's no way. I don't have it. I don't have the education. I don't have the gifting. I don't have this. I don't have that. Just one way or another, it's self-deprecation or it's, it's just unbelief. But he wants to do that. How many times do we find ourselves even giggling about the idea of the things that we're told clearly in Scripture, even as things are unfolding in our world today? The Scripture tells us so clearly about the days that we're living in right now. And if we read what the Bible says and look at what's going on, we can tell that we're living in the days the Bible says those things are going to happen. And yet in our own way, we scoff at it. We, we blow it off. The rapture, you've got to be kidding me. Really, we're all going to just disappear. We're all going to go up. Well, that's what the Bible says. So why don't we take that? Because we've never seen that. We've never seen that. Well, have you ever gone to heaven? What, what are you believing? What are you believing? Were you there when Jesus was crucified? Were you there when he rose from the dead? You weren't. I wasn't. None of us were. Well, we have the scripture that tells us. Okay, so you believe it. Why don't we believe the other things? If we believe the one who, who's, who has an open tomb, why don't we believe the things that he said? But we chuckle at those things. Part of the reason we chuckle, I suppose, is because we're afraid to look like lunatics. We're afraid of looking like, you know, nuts. Bible thumpers. Jesus asked the guys, well, you can find it in a lot of places, but Mark chapter 9, as they're walking from the north down to Capernaum, Jesus says to the guys, so what were you discussing while you were on the road? No, nothing, because they were really arguing about which of them was the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, nothing, nothing, Lord. And then he gives them a lesson on that once they get to, to the house in Capernaum. What were you discussing? Or here's a question for you. What were you discussing? What were you thinking about? What were you conspiring while you were driving? I don't mean who were you yelling at while you were driving. That's a different question. But what were you planning? What were you planning for your day or for your week or for your life? Because God knows all that. If he knows everything, even in the most private places of your life, he knows all of that. You know, Jesus said, I tell you, everyone will have to give account on judgment day for every empty word that they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. Years ago, uh, I was at an East Coast pastor's conference, a long time ago, when uh, K.P. Yohannan used to stop by. K.P. said this, he said, once in a while, it's good to hold a dress rehearsal for the day that you'll stand before the Lord. You ever thought about that? Because that day is coming, right? Each one of us is going to give an account, as Christians I'm talking about. I mean, if, you, if you'd like to do a dress rehearsal, if you don't know Jesus Christ, and you'd like to do a dress rehearsal for the great white throne judgment, uh, uh, it's probably good if you do that. Because you're going to get saved right away if you really think about that great white throne judgment. But for the Christian, for the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where rewards are given or withheld on the basis of how we've lived, 
do a dress rehearsal for that. It's tough. It's, it's a hard one. It means coming into his presence, knowing that you're forgiven, but it's still not a pretty picture in one regard. Knowing that all these things that we just easily blew off, promptings of the spirit that, uh, yeah, well, I mean, that, it's for all of us. I'm, I'm talking about myself too, all of us. It's, it's good for us to do that. But he says this now in verse 15, and when the servant of the man of God arose early, he got up first to make coffee, those types of things. And there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his master, or the servant, said to, uh, to Elisha, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So Elisha answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the guy's got to be thinking, Well, there's you, <laughs> and there's me. You're getting old, Elisha. And Elisha prayed. He didn't explain anything to him. He prayed. He said, Lord, would you open his eyes so he may see? And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, the man could see, but he was blind. The man could see, but he was blind. I mean, I, I've left out the rest of this. You should read it on your own if you haven't already. About the blindness that comes in the Syrian army. If there's an interesting play on that word, sight and blindness, sight and blindness. But here we have people who are believers in the Lord. And, and here's this man who's blind. He can't see the reality. I look at hundreds of people here. And yet there's a blindness we all have. Because we, we don't, we haven't been able to, we haven't chosen to try to see the real reality that's there, just beyond this veil of reality. And I know that you think I'm weird when I say that kind of a thing. A lot of people do. But so many believers are like that servant. Alas, what shall we do? We talk about God. We sing about God. We pray to God. We have our God verses. We have our God slogans. We have our God bumper stickers. We have our God t-shirts. We have all these things. We're surrounded. Where'd God go? What, the slogans didn't work? The, the, the songs didn't work? And I know, it sounds like I'm being really facetious. I am kind of, because it's easy to say those things, but then we get freaked out by what we call reality, and it is a reality, it's our reality. And yet, there's someone who's greater. I mean, God sent his son to pay the price for the, the greatest problem any of us have is the problem of our sin. God sent his son to pay the price for our sin in order that you may be with him in heaven. There's no reason he should do that. We kind of think he should do that. We kind of think we're cute. He should want us, most of us. But, <laughs> but why is it then that we think, all is lost, we're surrounded, what shall we do? This is in the Old Testament still applies to us, all of God's word does. Jesus is on every page. But this is really important for us. You know, it's all fun and games until one day, oh, we're surrounded. Oh, it's all going down the tubes. Oh, persecution has come, it shouldn't happen to us. After all, we're American Christians on top of everything else. No, we're just people, and there's a much bigger enemy than we think. 
We think our enemy is in Washington. We think our enemy is in the European Union. We think our enemy is in Russia. We think our enemy is China. We think our enemy is Klaus Schwab. We think all those things. No, there's a greater enemy. We say it's Satan. It's not, Satan just doesn't have time for you. He's dealing with those people. But he has minions who he sends out. And they harass us. What you and I see is a form of reality, but it's not really reality. There's the proof of it right there. E Elisha knew it all along. He knew that there was an army of angels and chariots of fire around them, in however he saw it. We're not, that's not explained for us. But he knew that there's a greater reality than the one that we look at all the time. Imagine, you know, if we could see beyond our natural eyes what's really going on. If, if suddenly you were able to see what this servant was able to see, would that encourage you? I guess not. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't you see that that's a reality? And does it feel like reality? So it's kind of like, uh, that's, you know, magic foo-foo dust. Like, you know what? No, but it's the reality. It really is. Now, I, I know, yeah, we've talked about some of this on Wednesday nights, but what is the nature of reality for us? Actually, you know, I've, for years I've said, um, or I, I've mentioned it in here, that, you know, if you look at the structure of an atom, an atom, you look at, you know, electrons, protons, neutrons, but we think of an atom, there's 100,000 times more space in an atom, space, than there is actual matter. But that's if you're looking at an atom, if you've drawn it on a piece of paper, a two-dimensional, like a circle. But if you look at it as a sphere, that means there's 24 million times more space. Now listen, 24, you just checked out, because I, I, science, math, now I want Bible, just teach me Bible. Well, the one who wrote the Bible did all this, so pay attention. That means there's 24 million times more space in an atom. How big is an atom? There's 24 million times more space in an atom than there is actual matter. Uh, okay, so perspective. Just looking at that in two-dimensional terms, let's come down to the 100,000 thing. If we had a neutron, the center of the atom, about the size of a basketball, put it right here. The nearest electron, take a guess. Where's the nearest electron? Dunkin' Donuts? <laughs> Yeah, the one in L.A. It's in California. Well, and not, uh, wow, really? Yeah, that's how much space there is there. Yeah, it's, it's really a wow. I mean, when you start to put that together, it's like, so, if, actually, they say, if we took just one of you, any one of us, and if we took out all the space in our atoms, there's a way to lose weight. <laughs> Take all the space out of the atoms, out of my atoms, and just leave the, the actual matter. You couldn't find me. If we took, you'd be, yeah, praise the Lord, you're <laughs> If we did it for both services, including children and all that, you'd be able to put a little bit, it looked like dirt down the bottom of a thimble. And yet we call this reality. We call this 
Solid. No, it's not. It's held together by an electrical force field. That's why it sounds like that. The real reality is what you're about to enter into. What Marty Amy entered into two weeks ago. That's the real reality. There's no space there. That's the reality. But we think this is reality. We're living, and not in a fantasy. I don't want to put it that way. But it's not as real as we think it is. Of course, you can say to somebody, you know, go home and tell your friends, you know, there's another world right, right next to us. I mean, and look, astrophysics, astrophysicists believe that stuff. There's another world. Sometimes it's wormhole theory. You go through this one wormhole through a black hole, and then you come out into another, you know, mirror universe. A lot of people theorize these things, and it's interesting. I mean, if you believe that, if you're a scientist, you have a, you have a PhD, which just means piled higher and deeper. But if you have a PhD, <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult anybody. Especially if it's in theology, let me tell you. <laughs> and you study those things, people say you're a genius. But you tell your friends, yeah, you know, there's another world out there. Right there. Right here. Angels. They say, you're a moron. You believe that? Yeah, well, the Bible says that. If you took... I'll get off this. One inch. In one inch, you could put 2.5 times 10 to the 15. That's 2 quadrillion 500... No, 2 quintillion 500 quadrillion electrons. Someone counted that. They call us the lunatics. Okay, but... Colossians 1. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Whether they be visible, whether they be invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things and by Jesus all things hold together. There's no reason that electrons should fit together. They're all of a similar charge. They want to repel one another. He's the one who holds all th those things together. The PhDs say it's atomic glue. But Jesus is the one, and one day he'll let go. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. With a great roar, everything will separate. But for now, that's where we are. You look at the problems of your life. There's a reason I'm going through that. You look at the problems of your life, and we've all got them. And in this room right now, there's some really serious, heavy problems, and there's some others that, by comparison, are not so much. But for you, they're serious. Whatever our problems are, they're serious problems. Jesus holds all things together. Jesus created all things. By him, all things fit together. The Bible explains the things that physics can't explain. We think we try, maybe that's the better word, we try to keep everything under control in our lives. Well, based upon what we're just looking at, that, that kind of makes our, our imagination of personal control over things kind of silly, isn't it? You can't really control all those things in your life. It's like that old expression of, you know, sitting in a, in a bathtub trying to keep all the ping pong balls under the water. 
You just can't. Eventually, they're coming to the top. Problems will always come up. That's just the way life is. He holds all things together, not just the universe, because we tend to do that. We say, well, that's science. What about me? Well, you're part of that, too. If he holds the universe together, you're part of the universe. That means he holds you together. I mean, after all, if he holds these atoms together, if he holds electrons, protons, neutrons, I'll get off it. But I just, if, I, if he does that, and he does, that means he, he also holds your body together, right? Your heart, your liver, your lungs. I mean, you're, you're breathing, but you're probably not thinking much about it. Your heart's beating, but you're not saying, beat now, beat now, loved up, loved up. You're not doing that. It just happens because God programmed you that way. And he's the one. All he has to do is take his hand of control off, and you're dead, at least in this life. Our, our illusions of control get pretty silly after a while when we think of it that way. So that includes all things globally then, too. Government, economy, dictators. Yeah, scientists talk about other dimensions. Those who, are with, are, are, those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. That's what Elisha says. There's an unseen realm. It's a hidden army of protection. And actually, it's not just in a Bible story from thousands of years ago. That hidden army of protection is right here, right now. And we'll, we'll do more of this on, on Wednesday night. Don't worry, not the science. But we'll talk about angels as we get. We're in Hebrews 1, and as we get toward the end of that chapter, he talks about angels and how angels are ministering spirits that are sent by God to tend to the concerns and the affairs and all of the needs of the saints. That's us. And we, we use the term guardian angel, but that's the idea. Paul says in the New Testament how we're to behave because we're supposed to, because God looks over a thing, but also because of the angels, because of the angels. What does he mean? Because right now there's angels in this room, the angels who, who guard over your life, ministering spirits sent to protect you and, and, to, and to watch over you are here. They didn't, they didn't go to Dunkin' Donuts when you came in here. They're with you. And they watch what's happening in this room, and they give report to God. Do you hear what Hessler's saying down there, Lord? <laughs> um, I remember uh, long ago, when, uh, before I, I never really understood anything about computers, but at least when in the earlier days of when we called them word processors, you know, you'd be typing away, you know, change the font. I have a, ch a, a choice between Times and Helvetica. That was it. Now I've got a thousand choices, right? But there was a there was a key. On, on the keyboard called the Reveal Codes Key. Maybe it's still there, I just don't know where you find it anymore. Reveal Codes Key. It would show you like the reality behind the form that you have up front, the structure down underneath. You know, language coding, I couldn't, many of you understand, I have no clue. But it was always fun to me to press it and go, oh, that's what's back there. Yeah. The God of this age, the devil, Paul says, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Sadly, for those of us who come into Christ, we walk around in almost a, a willful blindness of these things. It's why is it that we don't want to believe these things? We should, because God is our help and he's ready to help us at any time. You and I still have a re reveal codes key. It's right here. 
It tells us what's going on. What's the, what's the real structure behind the form that we see in front of us? And we need to have our eyes open to see this unseen realm that's in front of us, you could say. I'm not talking about weird stuff. Don't, 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 some of you may think, well, what's he getting into? Yeah, no, not, I'm not dabbling in all the weird stuff. What I'm saying is, don't despair. There's hard stuff in our lives. There's hard stuff coming in our lives. But God is already prepared for all of that. God is over all of that. And we can come in and sing, the God of angel armies is always on my side. It's a great song. But then we freak out. Well, wait a minute. Is he or isn't he? Who is he? Are we just singing songs about someone we don't know? It's like sending postcards about, I'm in Hawaii, but when you're really sitting in Philly. You know, no, we, who is he? Those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. It's hot, I think it's half-heartedness, because that's what happens to us a lot of times. There's a half-heartedness that sort of comes over our lives. We, don't, we say we believe these things. We, we, we say the Bible's true. We, we believe the Bible's true. It's just that we don't believe that everything in the Bible is true because we haven't been forced to actually believe it. It's sort of like you don't really believe in something until you've tested it. You know, I don't have a sports car. I don't think I'll ever have a sports car. But, but you don't really trust that it's going to hold the road at a certain speed until you've gone that speed. You may not tell your wife that you're doing it, you know, but, but you, you, until you've tested it, you don't know. You don't really understand. That's where theology comes from, actually, over, over thousands of years. That's how theology, New Testament theology, that's how it's developed over thousands of years. The church has had the word of God for all that time, but only when there's error, when things are tested, when the, when the, when the, uh, the boundaries are pushed, then pastors get together and say, well, what is the truth here? They test it out. And they say, well, this is the truth. It's only until we've tested it and until you've been up against the wall. When you've been up against the wall in despair in your life, financially, and suddenly there's the check that you, you forgot that someone owed you from a year ago and suddenly it's in your mailbox. Or there's food and no one knows that you're out of money. God does. But there's food in your doorstep. I mean, it's those types of things. It's only until you're tested that you start to realize that he's really there. He really sees you. He really has you. He really cares about you. Look at all the believers, believers, Christians, who choose to ignore God's promises. They forget. Well, maybe they ignore that God's in our midst. It happens. It's happened in my life. I'm sure it's happened in yours. How different would the world be? How different would the church in America, how, we, how different would we be right here if we chose not to ignore but actually to believe those things and to trust that God was doing that? How would that change our prayer lives? How would that change how we read his word? How would that change how we share the gospel instead of leaving it to professionals to do? It would change everything about our lives. It would change everything. It would change the way we look at our politics. We wouldn't get so wigged out by all these things and spend all of our time on social media and, and living out some other life out there 
instead of just dealing with the reality that God gave us. And we would, we would understand who we really are in his sight, that, that he really has called us to be his ambassadors here because there's a purpose behind all of this. There's an unseen reality, but in that unseen reality, it's there for us, that unseen reality, those angels are there not to help us be lazy, but to help us be active in what he's called us to do. And we'll talk more about angels on Wednesday night, but you know, we start to look at, think of this other dimension. The Bible says that there are angels, there's fallen angels over all, really all the nations of the earth. Iran, China, Russia, Europe. You know, I was wondering uh, this week, uh, you know, kind of going through this, I started wondering like, what's going on in Great Britain right now? Not on the ground, in the heavenlies. As the queen dies, Charles, he wanted this for so long. And how's he going to be manipulated spiritually? manipulated. What's the battle been in the heavenlies as this transfer of power, that transfer of power in the heavenlies has gone on? The one we never like to talk about is our own nation. Because all the nations of the earth have fallen angels, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. You think I'm talking about Washington. I'm talking about the spiritual realms who watch over what's happening in Washington. Not my beloved country, yes, my beloved country. Dark powers. You look at the chaos in America in recent years. Why do you think that is? Don't blame it on the Democrats. Don't blame it on someone in Washington. We can, in, a sense, yeah, in human terms, we can kind of blame it all on all of ourselves, but it's a spiritual force that has been doing this. It's, we're not getting into all that, but... The colossal changes that we've seen over all these years are in large part the result of that. If you go back in history, there are major times in history where big things happened, where, where great minds came together for different things. And we've seen it just in, you know, most of our parents in here, you know, the, the greatest generation who are pretty much gone now. And you see, as the boomers have had control and are passing it off to the, the Gen Xers, the millennials to rule, we didn't do such a good job either, and it's not getting better. But it's the spiritual forces in the heavenly places who are overseeing so much of that. But those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. Really, I mean, take that as something to count on. Those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. Jesus said, listen, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ. He said, I tell you the truth, no one can see. Now, that's an interesting word, isn't it? No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Think of a baby inside the womb, just inches away from a whole different world than he's experiencing inside that womb. Colors, sounds, smells, opportunities, all kinds of activities that that little baby can't experience until he passes through the birth canal. It's just inches away from him. And we all know that's true. That's a natural birth. Jesus is saying, 
there's a kingdom just inches away from you right now. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't hear it. You can't experience it. If you're born again, that's a natural birth. Now, spiritual rebirth. If you're born again, you will experience it momentarily. Anybody who's moved from this life into the next in Christ has already experienced it. We imagine it, they're experiencing it. But you can't experience it. You'll never experience that unless you're born again. Oh, you will experience something. Something you can't experience in this life. It's so horrifying, it's hard for me to even put into terms. But you must be born again in order to avoid that and to experience the kingdom of God that he has for you. But for those of us who know Christ, what an encouragement to know it's just seconds away when it comes time for him to remove our soul and our spirits from these shells, what that will be like. When the shell is left and the nut is gone, right? Yeah. What's, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. We look at a world on the brink of some of the most colossal change, the most colossal change that the world has ever seen. One world government, one world currency, and you think I'm talking about the tribulation. It looks like it's coming down before the seven-year tribulation begins. It's what's going to happen after the rapture of the church and how bad it's going to get. A digital currency that looks like it's ready to be introduced at minimum in December, maybe in the second quarter of 23, they're saying. That's going to be something entirely different than anything you and I have ever experienced before. David says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. See, there's an unseen reality. He encamps around those who fear him, do you? Do you? Is the question. So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, or angels or principalities or powers, nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that what's ahead for the Christians in this world and something we've never experienced for American Christians is again something we've only been able to imagine and it's not going to be easy but God wants us to see through the veil of this world and to understand that even so he's going to carry us through this he'll give us the power he'll give us the wisdom he'll give us the ability to move through it. It doesn't mean that it won't be painful at times. It doesn't mean that things won't be tough. It doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean we may not be hurt. But let me read you this. I did a memorial service for a man uh, some years ago, part of the greatest generation. It was a man who was in a, um, uh, he was in a tank unit in the, in the war, the war, um, at the Battle of the Bulge, you know, it was all over the place. He was at the Battle of the Bulge. And if you know anything about that, that was one bloody thing. And he was uh, the only believer in the tank that he served on. And so they made fun of him all the time. 
you know, oh, the Bible boy. And uh, he would pray for, you know, his buddies every night. He'd read scripture to them. They were, they had their tank wedged in a, in a hedgerow at the Battle of the Bulge. And um, he read this to them, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God, and him I trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He'll cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. And he goes on, but for our purposes. And he prayed for them. They were all a little afraid that night because they knew that the Germans were so close. They woke up in the morning. The Germans were within 15 feet of them. But the fog that had fallen over their tent in that hedgerow was so thick, all they could hear was German being spoken. They knew those guys were all around them, but they never discovered them. And after that, many of those guys trusted Christ as their savior, and they never busted on the Bible boy again because they understood that his God, his God was the one who was going to carry them through. Look, the Lord is reminding us we're pilgrims in this world. We're not settlers. Be careful how far you put down your roots. It's not like we can't enjoy this world, but don't make it your world. It's someone else's. We're passing through. That's all we are here is pilgrims. And those who are with us are far greater than those who are against us. Let's stand together.